And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this November 10th. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist have signed on, and the bat around is live. And my partner, Craig Heist, is grimacing. What's what's wrong? Uh, what's well, wrong, you, darling? You, you say we've signed on, but as per usual, the internet in this place is... Uh... Don't we have a second um, Ethernet? Why don't you try going on with the Ethernet? Uh, you basically get the same thing. I'm not. I'm. I got on like in ten seconds. All right. Ooh, we'll All right. Work it out. Fight, fight, fight me. Fight me. Um, Heisty. Yeah. Starting with a football note before we um, before we do anything further. My my good friend Tony Grossi, who writes for the Cleveland Plains Dealer. Plain. Plain Dealer. Yeah. yeah. Well, you say plain. I say planes. How do you spell it? P-L-A-N-E? Plain? I-N. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Okay, I knew that. Uh, He's supposedly, and I mean, I've gotten this from from fairly good sources, is sort of partly responsible for uh, Art Modell's, the the bumpy road he's had trying to get into the Hall of Fame. Bumpy? Yeah. Yeah. There's potholes all over that story. Exactly. So every time Tony writes something on Twitter that alludes to how bad the Browns are. And in this case, just moments ago, he said, since the Browns last played the Atlanta Falcons and beat them, the Browns are 655-1. and <laughs> And he says, here's my column on why they, I think they'll win again. So he writes the column, and I, I tweet at him because I have for years tweeted at the Cleveland sports fans and Tony Grossi, that I've placed a curse on the Cleveland Browns until they drop all this, the efforts to keep Art Modell out of the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, and I just tweeted back at him. I said, 655 and 1, question mark. I said, how's that curse of Art Modell working, working out for you? for you, yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> of course, I never get any response. Well, when you, when you look at what Art did for the league and – and the whole advent of the television deals and the, the, the Monday, Monday night, night football. football. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous he's not in. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to get you to say that. All right. I've always believed that. Uh, I know that. that. I know that. But, you I big, mean. You're a big fan of uh, arts. I'm, I'm a fan of art in terms of what he did for the For, for the, the league. league, yeah. But, I, I mean, you know, he's no different than other owners who would leave a city because of the lack of support in that city, and but you know you, you the cannot mo- the you cannot build Gundarina, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Jacobs Field, right. and then leave him sitting in that dump by Lake Erie. Right. You know you right. just can't do it. And the fact that the league put a lot of money into the new stadium was proof positive that Art had a legitimate beef. Absolutely. There. And you know the the league has lost all 
all moral high ground on move to owners to move right because this thing in la was the first time that they actively worked you know to get a new stadium put into a community and move franchises so mm-hmm. they've lost all the moral high no ground. no question about it and and you know now that the uh uh the 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 chargers are there uh, there's a lot of talk now that, you know, can two teams survive in that market? And I'm not so sure they can. Yep, yep. Uh, Which we'll, we'll is a real dilemma because, you yeah. know, two, three years down the road, what do you do with the Chargers at that point if all things don't work out? The way the history of this thing works out, it sure seems like that San Diego will sort of sort of slap itself and go – what are we doing? We don't have football here, and the Chargers are looking for a new home. Right. Uh, let's build a new stadium for the Chargers. Right. And uh, that's the way I think it will play out two years Well, down. we'll have to wait and see. I yeah. mean, there's some pretty stubborn people in San Diego when it comes to that particular area of putting up a new stadium and what uh, what is all involved in that in terms of the taxpayers. and No question about how it. How much no they, they're going to have to foot the bill for that. Yeah, no question about it. Maybe the, uh, who knows, maybe the, and again, I, I was in Jack Murphy Stadium. Is it called Qualcomm now? It's Qualcomm now. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, I was in Jack Murphy Stadium like 25 years ago. Uh, for Super Bowl, actually the Super Bowl that the uh, the Broncos won. Yeah. Uh, beat the Packers. Um, I don't recall whether Has that... Has it been that long? It's Yeah, that was 1997? 90, yeah, 98. 98. It was 98, maybe, yeah. 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 I was out there. That's the one where I saw you hugging Joe, Joe Gibbs. Right. Yeah. And I said, this Craig Heist guy, he's something special. Yeah. Yeah. Then I find out that Joe Gibbs hugs hugs everybody. He hugs everybody, yeah. but he knew me. <laughs> he knows me. No, he didn't. He knew you very well. He was very fond of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're here to talk baseball. Enough about the football. Enough right. about me. So what do you think of me? Let's, let's talk baseball. <laughs> All right. Our guest uh, list today includes Josh Soroka of Section 336. He's going to join us at 1020. A uh, good friend of yours, Steve Molesky, yep. is going to join us at 10.45. We'll see from Steve if uh, any of what we're hearing is true about um, about the Orioles having at least one finalist in their hunt for front office, okay? And we'll also see how Steve thinks this front office is going to be shaped. You know, didn't you think about – I'm guessing two, three months ago you thought – if Dan Duquette wasn't retained, the Orioles would go out and hire a, quote, new general manager. Right. Right? Then wouldn't you say about a month ago, five weeks ago, you said, oh, it looks like they're going to shape, reshape this front office structure to have a team president of baseball ops and a general manager. And now it sort of seems like we're not sure which structure we're not we're not sure which structure or the the way they're going to structure it at this point but that was the belief was you know you hire a director of baseball operations who would in turn hire Hire the the gm GM. and then in turn he would hire Hire the the manager he or she would hire the manager it's a good thing you said he or she yeah because Brittany everett might be uh i understand she's out in the workforce Uh pretty soon that's good Um, are you leaving no, she's not leaving. No, I'm, I'm still here. Don't worry, okay. Craig. Yeah. I know. It would yeah. break your heart. It would. <laughs> this is her only paid gig right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. But she's looking. 
She's looking uh, for full-time employment. There you go. Pretty soon. Actually, right. she's out there now. Good. If anybody wants her resume, they can tweet me. Right? Yeah. At Stan the Fan. Yeah. All right? And I'll get it to you. Poor girl. If she gets your endorsement, <laughs> nobody's going to hire her. Uh, it's worked wonders with your career. Yeah, yeah it really has. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, 11.05, you've tracked down our good friend Richard Justice. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, number do we call him on? The mobile or the home? Well, I'll uh, let you know that in just a second. Okay. Because I never, I, every time we have him on, I write the sheet. And I have both numbers. I don't remember. Well, you get your sheet together. <laughs> Very good. Touche. Touche. Yeah. Uh, and then 1135, you track down Chelsea James. Yeah, from the Washington Post. And uh, we'll get her thoughts on Bryce Harper and some of what's going on with the Nationals. She and broke the scoop this week that the Nationals had, in fact, made a last-minute regular season offer uh, while they had their window of exclusivity. To talk to Bryce Harper, they mm-hmm. offered him what? Ten years, three hundred million dollars. Ten years, three hundred million. Yep. And uh, would you have taken that? If I you, think, you yeah, perso- probably. You personally? Yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm not wanting to like you know making it all about me <laughs> and big contracts. So yeah, that would have sufficed. Yeah. Then you could have probably had Britt go out to lunch with you. <laughs> that's right. All right. If you had that kind of money. Uh, so that's the show we have. Josh Soroka coming up in about ten minutes. Yeah, but you know what what it's like when you have that kind of money. Yeah, everybody uh, wants that. Women's taste get a hell of a lot more (laughs) expensive. Right, exactly, expensive. But they're less, far less discerning (laughs) when you have that kind of money. That's a terrible thing to say. Yeah, really. Because Brittany probably still wouldn't want to have lunch. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) She would have lunch on you, but not with you. With you, yeah. That's probably not a good thing to say. (laughs) Can we talk baseball, please? Yes, let's go talk baseball. All right. Josh Soroka, Steve Molesky, Richard Justice of MLB.com, Chelsea James of Washington Post. That's what we have on uh, tab for this week. Um, so free agency has uh, started all out there. It has, and uh, again, uh, a lot of this is its going to be very interesting to see how this market plays out. Uh, I think everybody's in agreement that Bryce and, and Manny Machado are going to get there. The get you, get you, that money that they're, they're looking gonna get for, the money, but I don't. Per, do you see them getting the length of contracts? I that, don't, and and I, to me, it's just ludicrous out there. What you know, you know, Scott Boros uh, is is talking about with Harper, five hundred million for fourteen years or whatever it is. Right. It's just it's nuts. MLB trade rumors put this list of their top fifty free agents and their predictions of where they would go and how much money they would make and for how long a period of time. They had Bryce Harper getting four hundred and twenty million for fourteen years, and then coming in number two was thirteen years at Manny Machado at three hundred and ninety million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh Harper I could see, well, he's already got a 10-year offer on the table, okay? Well, right. it supposedly is off the table. You know, if they came back to the Nats tomorrow and said, hey, would you make it $301 million for 10 yeah. years? I think he would take it. Uh, I mean, well, that's not too a much bit. down the road. Right, right, if he down doesn't the have road, a job. right, exactly. But, but the point is, do you see Machado getting anywhere near a 10-year contract? Uh, I could see it f- probably from the Phillies, yeah. Like 
eight or nine or eight or nine something yeah. like that yeah and uh, again you're talking about a bunch of people who run that front office who were very much involved in Manny uh, being an Oriole, the drafting of him and uh, his early years with the Birds, and uh, they know all about him. And, you know, to me, uh, that's probably one of the better fits for Manny, uh, you know, going forward. Right, right. Um, I, You know, with Manny Machado, now I've heard a rumor this week that the guy that they really want to get before Machado, because they think he could have an impact on Machado, is I hear the Phillies might be the lead contender on like a two-year deal for uh, Nick Marcakis. Could very well be. And uh, now you've witnessed a lot more than I, because you were in, you're in the locker room a lot more than I am. What was the relationship? A great deal of respect from Machado for Marquecas? Oh, absolutely, yeah. They I used mean, to be right in the same corner together, didn't they? I'm not sure. I can't remember how that worked. No, not no. Uh, Manny's always been along that back wall. Marquecas said I when thought he was, he was on the back wall to the right. But Marquecas was on the, on the shower side. Uh, of course, they redid the clubhouse in Baltimore mm-hmm. by putting that kitchen in the back. So. Okay. Uh, that that came after Marcakis was here. Okay. So so Marcakis was over where who was the pitcher they had Gallardo. He was yeah. over sort of yeah, by right, Gallardo. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. In fact, it was the same locker because I think he had that locker right before you head into. Oh, the, you mean that, that was the locker he had right, when, right. when Gallardo took it yeah. when he left? All right. All right. Anyway, um, your thoughts on aside from Machado, is Philadelphia a good spot for? Um, uh, it can Marquecas? be. It can be. I mean, you know, but again, Philly's going to be a little bit of a tougher media market than Atlanta is. So that if the numbers that he put up last year don't materialize when he's in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. he's going to take a little bit more heat for it. Right. Uh, what do you think of the, if the Nationals truly aren't in the Bryce Harper game? What do you think about the Nationals for uh, Marquez? Well, there's a. I don't think it's that great a fit because because of the they have Ad, they, they have Adam Eaton under two years of control still. Taylor, uh, they've and got the two Taylor, young, Soto got and Robles. Soto, Soto and Robles ahead of Taylor. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but we do think. Do you see any other really good fits for Marquez? Could you see him going back to Atlanta? Oh, I could see that, yeah, because yeah. Snicker loves him, and uh, right. obviously I think the fan base loves him, but uh, uh, he's at a point where they I don't think they offered him a contract. Or, no, yeah, I don't think so. they did either. I don't think they did either. <clears throat> now, supposedly they are in the market for one Michael Brantley mm-hmm. at about $15 million a year for like three years, which would – Probably render Marquecas redundant. And I'll tell you another thing that's going to be interesting to see is what the Red Sox are going to have to pay the luxury tax this year, uh, exactly how they want to finagle and maneuver their roster around uh, from, from a from a money standpoint right uh, you know to try to get that number a little lower and still remain competitive but they're still i mean it all boils down to pitcher how uh, pitching how bad is sales shoulder uh there's a lot of rumors that joe kelly will be on the move right uh because they don't want to i don't think they're going to try to re-sign him uh, Kimbrell is Kimbrell, a pretty pricey guy. Well, Kimbrell's at this point. a pretty pricey guy, but they did offer him a qualifying offer. Right. So that leads me to believe that they're at least interested in keeping him. Right. Uh, but uh, again, a lot of it's going to, it'll be interesting to see what a lot of these teams are going to do from a money perspective. Right. 
I don't think that's going to work out for Kimbrell there. I think he's going to turn down the qualifying offer well, in could Boston. Well, could well right, be. We'll see. We'll see what that happens. All right, again, the uh, order on the show today, Josh Soroka from Section 336 will we'll, uh, catch up with what uh, he thinks about the Orioles' uh, late-season um, uh, acquisitions and uh, the way things are going right now in Birdland. Uh, Steve Molesky will join us and give us more of a reporter's uh, bird's eye view on that stuff. And then Richard Justice and Chelsea James rounds out the show. Um, wanted to mention I'm a, I'm a board member with the Maryland Athletic State Athletic Hall of Fame and wanted to give a shout-out to uh, our boss and leader, Steve Darty for running such a good banquet the other night. Um, the induction class included some really terrific athletes. Mark Greenberg, lacrosse, he was an All-American uh, at Johns Hopkins and won, I think, three championships at Hopkins. Sailor Terry Hutchinson uh, from Maryland. Bill Boniface, the horse racing trainer who trained deputed testimony, only Maryland bred to ever win the Preakness. Missy Maharg, uh, field hockey coach uh, extraordinaire down at the University of Maryland. And two other University of Maryland greats, uh, Buck Williams and Lamont Jordan, oh, went into this class. A couple of Maryland Hall of Famers yeah, there. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, they were just uh, put into that mm. Hall of Fame, or at least uh, Buck Williams was probably in He's for a while. He's away a while, yeah. yeah. But Lamont Jordan just went in a couple of uh, weeks ago, maybe even last week. Yeah. So. I will say that uh, Damon Evans uh, made an appearance there. He was not on the podium or anything, but it was nice of him to make an appearance in support of three Marylanders going in to the State Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, your thoughts before we uh, turn entirely to baseball, just on the sort of the wind-up of what's happened uh, in the uh, the aftermath of the death of Jordan McNair. Well, I, you know, I think uh, everybody, we, we talked a little bit about it last week, and then uh, uh, we, we talked about them finally doing the right thing as far as Durkin was concerned. Uh, and again, I want to preface, you know, DJ Durkin didn't kill, you know, no. Okay. So my, my point is that, you know, the, the bottom line is it, it happened on their watch and why Evans there is, yeah, you know, he's got to go as well. You got the strength and conditioning coach went <laughs> yeah. right away. Now this past week, you've had two trainers that were fired, Wes Robinson and what was the guy's name? Steve Redden. Was the other one? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, and I apologize on the the name there. <coughs> then you've had Wallace Lowe announce that he's going to, you know, he's resigning or retiring in, right. in June, which we know is a sort of a forced retirement. We've had DJ now officially been let go. The Board of Regents head, uh, Mr. Gray, has been let go or, uh -huh. or resigned, and yet the athletic director somehow has got tef Teflon on him. Evidently, uh, at least for the time being. Yep. So, I mean, I, I just think it has to be a total clean house and, and start from anew. Uh, I will say this about the football program. They have a game today at Indiana. What that time it, is that That game? if they can win that game, I believe it's a 12 noon game. Okay. I'm not sure. But uh, if they can win that game, they become bowl eligible. And uh, that would be quite the feather in the cap uh, for this football team who's been through so much this year. 
from that standpoint and everything that's circulated around that program since the summer, uh, if they could become bowl eligible, uh, you'd have to feel really good for all the kids on that football yeah. team. Yeah, I feel good for them and for Coach Will County. Yeah, and, and he's, you know, and if that happens and they get uh, bowl eligible, he might not get the head coaching job, but his name should certainly be considered for it. All right. You hearing any other names? I mean, I've heard the name again of Mike Loxley, maybe leaving heard, Alabama as an assistant <clears throat> to come and be. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, Again, don't know, but uh, they've got some things to figure out, obviously. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. But you know, let's get the win today if you're Maryland and get your bowl eligibility yeah. with the sixth win. This is the, this is their last best opportunity. Last to best do it. opportunity because next week it's uh, Ohio State at home, and then they finish up at Penn State. I don't uh, like their chances. In this I don't like their chances, but I, I mean, Penn State right now with McSorley being banged yeah. up. They're kind of beatable, and I mean, Michigan just totally took them to the woodshed right. last Saturday. You're pretty happy about that. <laughs> All right, joining us right now is a good friend from Section 336, uh, Josh Soroka joins us. Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. I mean, considering there's very uh, little Oriole stuff to talk about, it's uh, at least nice weather outside I, today. I don't, I don't mean, mean we were scraping the bottom of the barrel to have you on, but we are really running out of things to talk about with the Baltimore Orioles right now. How are you guys on Section 336 uh, hanging in there? Uh, I did notice that this week we talked a lot more Ravens talk. Right. So, <laughs> so that, that helps. Of course, this week's going to be fun with the Ravens bye week and the Orioles still not doing anything. And the Joe um, Flacco injury and who yeah, starts against uh, the Bengals. Well, I don't think I'd buy that. I think that's just a bi-week, bi-week drama. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when the big story for the Orioles offseason is that they announced that Wi-Fi will be in the stadium next year, that's, that's <laughs> another good thing for the fans, but it's, it's, a, it's a bad November. Uh, what's your take on uh, what's going on and the uh, pace of play, so to speak, uh, with which the club is moving? Uh, they found a way to make baseball even slower. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I'm irritated because it feels to me like when Duquette talked in July, I said, okay, clearly it sounds like they're planning on keeping Duquette around. Mm-hmm. And then they fired Duquette, which you can't be too surprised because the team was so bad this year. Right. But it, it seemed like all of a sudden they said, you know what? We don't like the plan of keeping Duquette. And the problem is the team's been so bad for the whole year that they should have had a plan in place before letting Duquette go or in July. Or it's, I, just, I haven't seen yet from the Orioles that they have a plan. It's is just there, they're just going through these motions. Now, your, your partners are Bert and Matt on Section 336. Yes. Uh, is there a unanimity of opinion on that, or do some of them think uh, – hey, they're taking their time, but they're planning on trying to get this thing right. Uh, it's better to be right than to be, you know, uh, timely. Yeah, Matt and I argue about it, but Matt and I argue about almost everything. That's what brothers do. Right. So we uh, totally disagree. I'm impatient, and he, he is on the side of, hey, no one else is looking for a president. 
No one else is looking for a GM. No one else is looking for a manager. Take your time. There's no rush. You're not trying to beat anyone to it. Well, and this is a long-term move. So he, he will argue that side. Well, I've taken that approach to this thing that, look, no matter whether the, the new team president or general manager or both, because that's the next topic I want to talk about, which, which is how you're viewing how they're going to restructure yes. this front office. But to me, they've sort of, from, from the middle of June, when this thing really was apparent how bad it was, I think they've taken the approach, there's nothing we can really do that's going to really turn this thing around in 2019. Now, I'm sure that attitude may irritate fans because we want to be back in contention yesterday, but I think they've taken that approach. But what's troublesome to me has been the fact that if you had asked, and I mentioned this to Craig earlier on the show, if you would mentioned this like two and a half months ago, we would have said, well, they're either going to retain Duquette or get rid of him and replace him with a GM. And that would be sort of the structure. Uh, but then we sort of, and I don't know exactly who led us to this. It was my opinion from everything I was reading that they were going to go team president. That guy would hire the GM, and then they together would hire a manager. And that's the way it seemed for the last month. But now it seems like I'm hearing about GM candidates and not team president candidates. Exactly, and that's what I'm talking about. It's the, the, I can't not figure out the plan because it seems like it changes every couple weeks. Yeah. And, so, and I hear Brady Anderson's really involved in this, and then I hear they're keeping Brady Anderson away because they don't want to scare people with his uh, hem in the room. So it, it, when you're, if you're on a boat and it's sinking, you, you don't wait until, let's get closer to land, then we'll come up with a plan on how we're going to get out of this. You start getting the water out right away, and it seems to me like they are delaying and delaying and delaying. I understand the long-term approach, but yep. let's at least have a plan of yeah. what we're looking for. Yeah, but there's not enough buckets on that boat right now. <laughs> yeah, well, but I don't care. The boat's going down. You yeah. use your hands. Well, it would be nice to see someone articulate sort of what the the timing is, you know. Um and we're left to uh, sort of, you know, uh, discern from Rakabatko and, and our friend Steve Molesky, who write for Masson. But I don't get the sense that they are privy to what the plan is right now, you know. Yeah, the Orioles aren't letting anything out. And that's why I think I feel like the most news is coming from the national reporters because they're just reporting what they're hearing from other clubs and people outside of the organization. Did you make anything of this week's uh, tweet from uh, Bob Nightingale out of Chicago that uh, the name of David Chad, uh, who's a um, sort of an ass- one of the assistant uh, to general manager Al Avila in Detroit, that he he's apparently one of the finalists for the GM job? Uh, okay. Had you I, heard I, that? I I saw I saw that name go by. Um, but again, it was only what was that yesterday? I think I saw that. I think it. I think yeah, it appeared. Right I think about. it surfaced on Thursday night. I think late okay. Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, that's fine. But again, like, like you were saying earlier, they told us they were hiring a president, and then the president would be in charge of all baseball decisions. 
So why then are you even bothering to interview GMs? You're going to bring in a president who has his own people in mind that he likes. So here's the question. I'm not disagreeing with you or or agreeing with you. When you just said they told us, I don't recall how I discerned. It was more like my reading of the tea leaves. Nobody came out, John or Lewis or anybody from the, the family or the organization has come out and said we're going to do it. We started believing what we read from writers that cover this a little closer than us, that that was going to be yeah. the structure. You know. You're right. I, I'm, I'm sure you're right, because I don't think anyone has spoken on behalf of the Orioles about their plan since Duquette did in July. Yeah. Um, well, actually, maybe it was in that letter. In that letter that the Orioles put out when they let go of Duquette and right. Buck, I think they did say in there that they would hire someone who would then be in charge of all baseball. Yes, I think you're operations. right now that I remember. So I, okay. so I think that was an official statement from okay. the warehouse. Yep, yep, I think you are right on that. We're talking with Josh Soroka, Section 336. He and his brother Matt and brother-in-law Bert host uh, Section 336. Tell uh, our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live and by the way, we want to urge all the f- those folks that are watching us to like us and share us, okay? Please share us. Um, Josh, tell us a little bit about th- Section 336, when and where people can, can listen and, uh, and uh, get the experience. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Baltimore Sports Talk, a whole lot of Orioles because we are diehard Oriole fans. But like I said at the top, we do get into some Ravens talk as well. Um, and we have a podcast every Monday night we record on Facebook, and you can find all everything at section336.com, and we take everything from a fan's perspective, so we end up arguing almost every week because that's what you do when you're out with your friends at a bar. You always have disagreements about what's going on in sports, and that's how our show is. Um, occasionally we'll uh, cross paths with reporters and, and more the professional side of uh the business, but we try to stay on the fan side and try to be the, that that opinion. The, voice voice of, of the, the voices of the fan. Yep, yep. Correct. Not, not necessarily the voices of reason, but right, the voices of the fans. Yeah. Well, right. There, there's three of us, so you'll have three different opinions most of the time. So, so there's three different ways to reason in this particular instance. Oh, right now with the Orioles, I think I could come up with a hundred different paths they yeah. could go today. All right, real quick, let me ask you this before we let you go. Since you do do some Ravens talk, uh, you think this injury is a made-up kind of thing for Flacco and nothing to worry about? He'll be starting uh, against the Bengals? I don't think it was made up because he was obviously stretching out right. and trying to loosen something up during the game. Well, but it looked, like, it looked everyone... like he got hit early in the game, and then yeah. afterwards in the locker room, he was limping around. Uh, but nobody said anything about, you know, hey, how's Joe? What happened on this play? Or, you know, so. Well, no, they they, they did ask Joe, and he said no big deal. Yeah, but the timing of it is a little suspicious, you would think. Yeah, I mean, being that this game is is really going to decide whether or not they can have any shot at all. Make a run of some kind. Make a run. It really would be quite risky to uh, start Lamar Jackson. In fact, well, I think if they end up starting another quarterback, it it's going to be, be RG3. RG3. Yeah. And, and that's what irritates me most about what's going on with this talk yesterday. Is 
I think it's I think it's drama because uh, the backup quarterback's always the favorite guy. Right. I think uh, hip soreness that he was able to get through the game. Two weeks of meeting with doctors and stuff. Yeah. They, trainers. I think he'll be. I think in the end, I really think Joe will play next week. But if it's not Joe. It's not going to be Lamar. It's going to be RG3. That's the whole reason we've been keeping him around right. is in case Joe goes down. And when you've got uh, a uh, coaching staff who's on the hot seat that has to get into the playoffs this year or they're gone and they know it, they're not going to put in Lamar Jackson with his limited experience uh, in a game that's make or break it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think that's the whole reason they've kept RG3 around the whole season is in case there's a short-term look. If they're if if we're talking two weeks from now or three weeks from now, and they're four and seven, that's a different story. Then you might say, "All right, let's let's start taking a look at this kid and get him some experience." Yeah, yeah if they lose to the Bengals, it's Lamar the rest of the season. Yep. I have no problem with that. Yep. This season's done, but you don't go into this game assuming the season's done. If you're this coaching staff, you have to go into this team saying we've got to turn this ship around. And if it's not Joe, you put RG3 out there, you you use Lamar maybe a little bit more yeah, because you've been building up his resume and you're going up against the Bengals who are not great at stopping the run. So I could see more use of Lamar, but not the entire game. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with you, and to me, it's one of those things where uh, one of the reasons you are keeping RG3 around is just for that reason, to have him be the backup. And, you know, let's just say Flacco went down earlier in the season. I don't think you would have seen uh, Lamar in there. I think you would have seen RG3. Correct. So, all right. We're talking with Josh Soroka. Josh, um, how old were you in 1983? Were you even born yet? I, I was three years old. You were three years old. Yeah, uh, so so I haven't seen the World Series yet. Are you and are you Matt and Bert or any of you going to the uh, evening with the '83 Orioles a celebration of the '83 championship? Uh, you know what? Somehow I totally missed it. I didn't know that they were doing something. So yeah. it sounds like something that would be really cool. Yeah, it's this Wednesday. Um, this Wednesday night down at the Renaissance Harbor Place. Tickets are uh, I think one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Um, they've got most of the team there. Um, Dempsey is not going to be there. He had some type of plans. Cal Ripken Senior, uh, Cal Ripken Junior, excuse me, is not going to be there. Senior will not be there either. <laughs> he will not be there. Cal Ripken Senior won't be there either. Um, uh, who else was it? Uh, Mike Boddicker had a hunting trip well planned before they came up with this. Right. But Eddie Murray's going to be there. Ken Singleton's going to be there. Jim Palmer was supposed to be there. He's got a, a bit of a family emergency, um, and he's not going to be there. But Dennis Martinez, Storm Davis, Tito Landrum, Tippy Martinez, Al Bumbery, Benny Ayala is going to be there, John Stefaro, Dan Ford, John T-Bone, Shelby, Rich Dower, um, and, of course, we know Mike Flanagan won't be there, um, uh, unfortunately, because of his death, and Todd Cruz. Uh, passed away about right. two and a half, three years ago. But um, now, now you're turning this into a death reel. Yeah, yeah. But well. uh, no, it, I haven't heard about it, but I am going to Google it now because it does sound exciting. I was too young to watch that team, but obviously I've seen highlights. I've read so much about that team. 
over the years, and it sounds like something that'd be pretty awesome to take my dad to. Well, I'll tell you what, it's hard to believe that it's been that long uh, since the the Orioles won a World Series or were even in a World Series. Uh, but I, but I, the I, other I, part of that is you mentioned Mike Boddicker, yeah. and it's, I mean, it wasn't that year, it was the year after that, but, I mean, you're talking about the last 20-game winner right. that the Orioles have had. But Boddicker was, it was in a way, the unsung hero that entire season from the time that Mike Flanagan tore his knee. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, he got a cleat caught, yeah, yeah. and he missed about 12 or 15 weeks of the season from early May. Boddicker, I think, won 15 games that year. Yeah. And won a couple key games in the postseason. Well, he, one of my favorite Orioles. Right, and then after losing Game One against uh, Chicago, right, against the White Sox, and then Game One against, against the, the Phillies, Phillies, right, it was Bodicker who pitched the first game that they won in each yeah. series. And it was also the series that Jim Palmer made his last appearance in a major league game, a win against Steve, Steve Carlton, Carlton, who yeah. took the loss. And Carlton that, started the game. Palmer came in in relief. In relief, and it was uh, that also. Uh, made Jim Palmer the only pitcher to win World Series games in, in three, three different decades. decades. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, if you go to if you Google Sports Boosters of Maryland dot dot com, I think it is. It might be dot org. Uh, all the information will come up. You can buy tickets through Sports Boosters of Maryland um, or the Babe Ruth Museum dot org. All right. Awesome. I'm going to do that right now. All right. I hope to see you there. I'm going to be co-emceeing with Scott, uh, Scott Garcelle. I'm honored, honored to do that. Um, listen, thanks for taking some time for us. And uh, when all this smoke clears, we'll get you back on uh, and, and get your opinion on how things are moving forward. All right? All right. Sounds good. We know it's a tough thanks. time for you because I can tell you it's a tough time for us to come in here and try and talk. Orioles baseball uh, because there's not <laughs> because a whole there's, lot. Yeah, to it's talk not about. because they had a terrible year or anything. There's just no news, news right? All right, yep. Josh, hang on, hang in there, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, have a good day. All right, there he goes, Josh Soroka, section three thirty six. Uh, that is available to folks by going to <coughs> pressboxonline.com slash radio. And then our menu of radio options or mm-hmm. podcasts are up there. And you can get the Glenn Clark Show, which airs daily 10 to 12. You can get the um, Fantasy and Reality Football Show that airs on Sunday mornings from 10 to 12. And this show. Uh, and also you can see a, a link there to Section 336. All right. We're going to take our first time out of the program. And, uh, Heisty, that means it's time to tell folks a little bit about the Costas Inn. Heading there right after this show is over with. Really? Yes. That's where you're watching the Maryland Uh, game? No, it's where I'm watching Penn State and Wisconsin. (laughs) Oh, I'm rooting for Wisconsin. (laughs) Absolutely. No question about it. All right. No, but uh, Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard, over in Dundalk. We always talk about the dinner specials. Yeah. It is a great place to go on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon because they got TVs up the wazoo there. Mm -hmm. And tell folks a little bit about lunchtime. Well, lunchtime, uh, no. And and better, you may not run into Nick Triantopoulos. (laughs) Yeah, because I think he sleeps till noon. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But you'll you'll see Nick tonight, I'm sure, without question. But uh, it's a great place to go for lunch. Actually, they have great breakfast over there as well. 
They eggs. Do, they Absolutely. Do. They do a whole breakfast menu hey, in the morning. Have you slept there? No, I've never slept there, okay. but I've been in for breakfast in the morning, right. and uh, it's just a great place to go uh, morning, afternoon, or evening. Uh, great sandwiches there. Uh, I highly recommend uh, the uh, Reuben sandwich, uh, that they make it as an open face sandwich. Right. You can get it that way, or, uh, you know, the club is great. Any of the cheesesteaks are great. Uh, and and the dinner specials we always talk about, Monday night, crab cake night, Tuesday is rib night, Wednesday. Wednesday steak night, ste- my favorite there night. There you yeah. go, steak night, and then uh, lobster on Thursday. And then uh, I asked Nick one night, I said, you know, what does Pete do for Friday specials? He says, I just take whatever comes off the top of his head. <laughs> he, he puts on the menu. But there are but specials. There are specials every single night of the week. All you got to do is open up the menu, left-hand side, down at the bottom. You'll be able to find out what they are. And uh, if you want crab soup, Maryland crab, it's the best around, cream of crab, uh, just a, you know, she's just great. Uh, Forty one hundred North Point Boulevard, cost us in. All right, and tell tell Nick or Pete that Stan the fan and Craig Heist sent you. Hey, uh, Press Box Project Game Day is back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game, and that means that you won't have Project Game Day this Sunday, but they will return on the eighteenth when the Ravens play the Cincinnati Bengals in a must-win situation at M&T Bank Stadium. You can react live with Glenn, uh, Glenn Clark, and sometimes Glenn and Sarita on PressBox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Pressbox Project Game Day, facebook.com slash Sports. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online line or through your app and while i've got your attention please remember chick-fil-a catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see steve at chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard tell him i sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask steve but he'll know someone who can help chick-fil-a one get food earn more free food respect it's more than a word in the u.s army it is one of our core values earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. 
Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend Juan Dixon, now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles, honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And we are back with the battle round. Stan the Fan, Craig Heist, and now joining us on our uh, hotline, our uh, battle round hotline, is Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com. Steve, how are you? What's up, guys? Hey, I, Who does I, Towson play this week? They play Elon. All right. Elon at noon, baby. Yeah. Huge. In, Huge. In Elon, right? Down at in North Elon, Carolina. Yeah. All right. Well, that's why I chose to have you on, because I knew if they were home, you'd want to be out tailgating. I'd be on my third bourbon by now, probably, yes. <laughs> How many bourbon are you drinking uh, following what's going on with the Orioles? How tough is it without there really being n- real news out there, Steve? It gets tough to write, and I mean, Rock and, Rock and I have a, something up pretty much every day. I, yeah. mean, I mean, it's pretty much 365. I might take a few off from writing. He, he doesn't take any, and so... Um, that is a bit of a challenge. People would think, ah, you're writing about baseball, it's easy, but every day, come up with something. Something right. I try to keep it interesting and accurate and informative, and, you know, um, Rock covers such of the, so much as the news reporter, mm-hmm. and he's so good at it that I don't do that, because why would two guys be pursuing the same people for the same information? Right. So I'm trying to write like today. I wrote about the young outfielders, and I've written a lot, a lot about Manny Machado. And you're just trying to write things of interest that uh, keep it going, you know. But uh, the one thing I do have to say, Stan, and shows like yours prove it, and and uh, our blogs prove it, the interest is out there, man. Oriole fans, even with all the losing, they're they're come every day and make comments and read, and I'm thankful for that. Well, something else that we can say about it, uh, there is interest in it. I don't think there's any question about that. But the other part about it is the Orioles, really, uh, to their credit or detriment, depending on how you want to look at it, is keeping this very close to the vest. And there's just not a lot of information coming out about when we may hear something. 
there isn't, and it's pretty remarkable in this day and age when everything seems to get out to some degree um, that nothing's getting out. I don't think the Orioles, um, you know, right now that's their process. They're not going to keep reporters up to date, uh, even behind the scenes it doesn't sound like, and that's what they choose to do. And as I've told fans, my personal opinion is it's much more important who than when. So yeah. whether this happens a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, tomorrow at noon, uh, the bigger issue is who they get and is this the right person or persons to take them into the future. We're talking with Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com. Steve, I wanted to get something clarified because we were talking with Josh Soroka, uh, who does Section 336 with his brother and brother-in-law, and we both got into a, sort of a, a misunderstanding of something. Have the Orioles in that one announcement that Greg Bader put out, did they say at that time that they were going to be restructuring the front office with a president of baseball operations and a general manager, or is that something that has only been hinted at by other people? I I don't have the release in front of me this very minute, but I don't I don't I think it indicated someone who would come from outside to right. lead baseball operations, but I don't think they made it clear that it would be a two person hire. But okay. you know, I've got to go with my colleague Rakabaka, who doesn't miss much on the Orioles, who has been reporting repeatedly that he believes two people will be hired. <clears throat> we don't know what titles will, they will be given, and their experience level may determine that. But someone will basically be hired and have a right-hand man or woman. Yep. And so, uh, I, you know, you know the stand in front offices. I mean, you have, a, you have a, like a cabinet, so to speak. Yep. Uh, you have a group of people you rely on. And so, uh, two, uh, you know, the two top dogs if you will and then they're going to eventually bring in a bunch of other people some that some positions they already have to fill and so it's, it's going to be a two-person operation heading it up it appears yeah my question was really about the news that broke this week and it was only in a tweet by bob nightingale who suggested that david chad of the tigers is a finalist for the gm position and then that got me thinking that maybe this is going to be a GM and a and an assistant GM rather than a president of baseball ops and a GM. Well, I think that has all confused all of us. Yeah. None of us knows the answer. Okay. Um, if Ned Coletti comes in, he might have the vast experience to be a president. Yep. Uh, if Hyam Bloom can be hired away from Tampa, he may be accomplished enough to have that title. If someone who's been a 10-year assistant GM maybe comes in as a GM and then brings in an assistant. So I guess there's a lot of scenarios yep. that could play out. Um, but And I told people, don't get worked up over the titles because uh, Andy McPhail was president of baseball operations right. and Dan Duquette was executive vice president of baseball operations, right. and they essentially did the same job. Am I wrong? I mean, no, you're you know, absolutely they had different right. titles, same res- similar responsibilities, they hire different people to help them, and that's what's going to happen here. Well, when we talk about the timing of it all and when we might hear something, now the GM's, GM meetings just concluded. You'll have the owner's meetings a little bit, and then you'll the have winter the winter meetings. meetings. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. I mean, at some point, this has to happen pretty soon. I can't imagine the Orioles going into the winter meetings without this structure in place. 
I can't imagine it, and I would. Uh, it doesn't mean it can't happen, but it would seem <laughs> unlikely. Yeah, the Orioles are very happy with Brian Graham as the interim head of this thing. I mean, he knows the organization very well. The, the the moves they have to make now, we're not saying they're smaller moves, but they're not. He, he you know, they're not going out to sign Andrew Andrew Kashner type this winter. We know that, right? Right. And they're not going to be incredibly active in free agency for name players. <clears throat> they might sign a few fringe guys, look for a defensive minded shortstop. And these are things that Brian Graham could do, uh, certainly is very capable to do, he and who's remains. And so the ship is moving forward. Uh, you know, where the Orioles are right now, they're not going to contend next year. We don't have to gnash our teeth over every day this goes on. I mean, and I know you guys aren't, but I know some yeah. of our, our my readers are, and I just try to tell them, just, guys, relax. There's nothing we can do to make this happen until it's going to happen. And again, it's it's more about who than when. There's that worry, though, Steve, about who's going to handle the the Rule Five draft this yes, year. There is, yes. <laughs> they got the first pick. Yeah, oh, that's the right. They do. In Oriole history, they got the first pick of the Rule Five draft. Maybe they'll bring Dan back to run the, the just the Rule Five thing. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it is hard to see. You said they're pretty happy with the way Brian Graham is doing things. I'm not saying. Brian's going to end up as the general manager, but after he has been the loyalist in there and doing the things that need to be done, it does seem hard to believe that they would turn around the next group that runs say, well, the first thing we're doing is getting rid of Brian Graham. I mean, I think the organization needs people as good as Brian and likes Brian Graham. I think so, too, and I would be surprised if he's not still working for the Orioles next year, and we already saw Kent Qualls, as Rock reported, yep. is coming back, and he was directly hired by Duquette. And, uh, you know, Gary Rasich's contract is up at the end of November, and I think I don't think his grip is as firm on that job yep. as, as uh, others, but who knows what will happen with uh, Gary. And I think Gary's drafts recently have been pretty good, and I think over time we will see he's done, he, he, he brought some things to the table here. So... Uh, we're going to see, man. There's, you know, at this point, they bring someone in over the next few weeks. There will be some people in place. There's, I don't think everybody who currently is here uh, will not be here. You know what I'm saying? I don't think yeah. he's going he's gonna to do another 30 people that are gone. I think he'll inherit and be happy to inherit some good people. And then over time, this group that comes in, uh, they'll determine a year or two down the road if people who are currently going to stay right. are going to stay long-term or not. You know, that's up to them. wanted to ask you about two people that you've, you've covered uh, extensively over the past uh, seven, eight years, and that is uh, Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette. Um, not asking you what you think of the jobs they did or anything. I think we all know that we think they both did good jobs here. Do you think both of them – will end up with jobs that they did with the Orioles, or will they will they end up being back in baseball in other capacities? And, and to piggyback on that, uh, at the end of that answer that you're going to give Stan, what was your thought, too, on the letter that Buck wrote to the fans of Baltimore and to the city and, you know... Yeah, it was a nice letter, and, I mean, that was, that was done by our friend Rich Dubroff through his website... And it wasn't necessarily a letter that was distributed to all media. It was Rich uh, pursued it yeah. with Buck, and Buck agreed to do it. And as always, Buck was eloquent, and, you know, he, he loves Baltimore. We know that. Um, so that was a really nice thing. You know, um, I, I, 
would be surprised if Buck manages again. He has said a few times when he was with the Orioles that he would not. Now, that doesn't mean he can't change his mind. But if you're Buck Show Walter and now you've got grandchildren and you've got a, probably all the money you'll need and a, and a wonderful life, wouldn't it be nice to just kind of ride off into the sunset and maybe keep your hand in baseball as a consultant or help out some friends with some scouting things? I mean, that maybe he won't choose to do that. Maybe he'll feel like I've still got a lot of years to give to the game, yeah. and he probably does, and pursue, you know, he could probably walk into almost any broadcast job he wants. That's kind of like what that's kind of like what Mike Hargrove does in, in Cleveland with the Indians. Right, right. I mean, there are a lot of people who would hire Buck either for projects or as a as a consultant in, for their organization, and obviously he's a great baseball mind. So Dan getting his job is going to be tough. There aren't any out there right now. Um, so I'm not sure if Dan would step away for a year or two to see if something will come open or take a step or two down to just stay in the game. Um, you know, I think he is better than he got credit for here. And because he's not as savvy or as articulate in the media as Buck, people didn't see him as as smart as Buck. But Dan's pretty smart in his own way. And, you know, he'll bring something to some organization if they want him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the one thing, and I know obviously when everything gets settled and we find out who's going to be running what, uh, the baseball product that they put out there next year. It's going to be very interesting, Steve, to see how they do this, putting it together from the standpoint of the young players that they have now. What kind of a pitching staff are you going to have uh, to at least be competitive? Because as you and I sat in that press box uh, this year, there were a lot of games where they just weren't competitive. And, and it may continue, and, and I do think fans are going to have to change the way they look at the baseball season in 2019. Yeah. They know going in, this team is not going to the playoffs barring something miraculous. This team probably isn't contending barring something semi-miraculous, and you've got to hang your hat on the small victories, and that could be that they lose 6-1 to one to the Yankees, but David has pitched seven solid innings, and the bullpen gave up four runs late to blow the game. Or that could be that Michael Givens goes from a good-looking potential closer to a, to a really good closer. Or some of these young outfielders, Austin Hayes reemerges this year, or Cedric Mullins turns out to be the top-of-the-order hitter they've been seeking. You know, these are things you've got to look at beyond the wins and losses. Because while we're looking for these individuals to tick uh, forward with their progress, the losses will probably still mount up. And so... If you just gnash your teeth every time they lose, it's going to be tough on some fans for a while, I think. We're talking to Steve Molesky. We've got Richard Justice coming up in a few minutes. We're, we're going to wrap up with Steve. Uh, and, Steve, one of the, the most batted-around topics, uh, and it has been since he signed his long-term contract with the Baltimore Orioles, uh, which seemed to immediately change what fans' expectations were of him and what his performance has been is uh, the Chris Davis, Chris Davis saga in Baltimore. Um, your thoughts, because as the season evolved, I think the Baltimore fans have actually been pretty kind to, to Chris uh, and, and pretty understanding that this has been a tough thing for him. But by the same token, they're greatly disappointed in what he's been able to provide. As the season went on and on, 
it took a couple different twists and turns. And sort of at the end of the year, it seemed a little like there was this possibility that Chris Davis could somehow walk away from his contract. Do you see that as a possibility at all, or do you think he's going to really redig in, retrench, and sort of re- double down his efforts to give uh, the fans here uh, what what they're paying for? Uh, I don't see him walking away. That would stun me. Yeah. Um, and I don't see the Orioles eating the contract with this much left to go. Yeah, they owe him $110 million. So... Uh, there's two things I would like to see Chris Davis do differently in 2019, and that is make adjustments and show us he's cha- he's going to make some changes. Whether they work or not, mm-hmm. who cares? It's not working now. So you just can't have that same swing. You can't tell us you're going to bunt and then never bunt. You can't try not try to hit the ball on the ground to the left side and beat the shift. These are things we've been talking about with Chris for two years, and he has to do something different try like palmer said when he called him out i don't see any adjustments and and no one does so we got to see something new for this guy telling us uh, you know i'm going to try this for a while what can it hurt he's not doing anything now the second thing is i would like to see him take even more accountability when he plays poorly like we see guys like alex cobb and trey mancini just beat themselves up when yeah. it doesn't go their way and Chris will make he'll he'll refer to it. I know it's been rough for me, but there's some days, guys, when you're that bad that you just have to look into the camera and say, "I'm killing the team right now. I'm letting the city down. I'm letting my teammates down. I know that, and I'm going to do everything I can to change that." You know what else can you say? And it would do them a lot of good to have that uh, outlook. You know, it's interesting you said about what the fans need to kind of look for this year. I think one of the things also they need to look for is a rebound season from Trey Mancini. Not that he was god-awful last year or anything, but like you said, he beats himself up almost to a fault, I think, at times. But it'll be very interesting to see what kind of adjustments he makes to come back and and get that uh, offensive production back to where he thinks, and I think a lot of people think it should be. Well, he had a 796 OPS in the second yeah. half, so that's much more like it. Mm. That was much closer to what he did the year before. So I think mm. he salvaged something of his season, and he did beat himself up to a fall. I mean, I interviewed Trey mid-year when he was in his biggest, you know, when it was in the midst of the funk, and he was talking about getting sent back to the minors, how he carried this with him everywhere he went. When he was having breakfast, that's all he could think about. He couldn't sleep. I mean, the guy just was just wouldn't let himself off the mat for his poor year. And so he was at the opposite end of Chris, where Chris might have been a little too casual about it. Trey just wouldn't let himself have a moment's peace. But I think somewhere in there, with the help of family and friends and teammates, he just kind of eased off himself a little bit. And he he made some tweaks in his swing where he let the ball travel deeper. We saw him start to drive the ball to right center more second half. So I still believe this is a good player. And he's going to prove to be a nugget, as Buck would, would say, moving forward. All right. Steve Molesky of MassInSports.com. We appreciate your coming on, and you do a, a yeoman's job, seriously, uh, with, with the way things have gone and coming up with something creative and different and new and fresh every day. And Rod Langway told me to tell you hello. <laughs> I miss Rod Langway and Pete Peters, Ben Gustafson, <laughs> and all the Washington Caps. 
that I covered 20 and 30 I'll, years ago that I like to remind be, Craig about I'll be, sitting, I'll be sitting there tweeting through the game and <laughs> right. updates and things of that nature, and he'll pop up a, how's Rod Langway doing tonight? <laughs> Tell him about the Baltimore Bullets. I hit on them, too. <laughs> That's right. I bring up Kevin Lockery and Wes Unsell and Mike Reardon. I love it. All right. Only the three of us will know those names. Well, and then the he audience says, are like and then Googling says, them now to find out who they are. And then he says, how's Gus Johnson doing? I said, well, if he's playing, we got a problem. We exactly have a real right. story then. That's Check right. the backboard. That's right. Steve, thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> thanks a million. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. Uh, Bye. All right. Big Bats. Let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar, 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back to and from the Eastern Shore, there's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, Nats, Wizards, or Caps in their season, college basketball, college football, NFL games. They've got the best bar grub around, sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs, and it's the only place that you can sit on a base. That's, That's Big right. Bats Cafe. But in Big Bats defense, there's no good place to watch the Wizards right now. That's a good point. <laughs> An excellent point. All right, we're going to be back again. Big Bats down in uh, Ken Island, 216, St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loopley. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at loopleague.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. 
Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for... For 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Well, certainly we'll be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson over the next week if he indeed starts on Sunday against the Bengals a week from tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, But joining us on the bat around right now is our good friend Richard Justice of MLB.com. And uh, Richard, uh, the GM meetings uh, i guess were this past week and uh welcome to the show number one what do you got for us <laughs> what do you guys got got a, who's running the orioles now N- nobody's running stan and i thought we'd run and i are gonna run the orioles well i don't know about that no, all right <laughs> you know there's good a lot of good candidates and what i you know what you hear they're saying is is that you, whoever we bring in will be in charge so you know, I know it's taken a while, but it's, it's more important to get it right than to get it fast. So, Hey, we just finished up with Steve Molesky, um, who writes for MassInSports.com. I wanted to get a more national perspective. Uh, both of the guys that uh, ran the Baltimore Orioles on the field and in the front office over the past eight years or so, nine years, Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette, what do you see in their futures? Um. Well, I mean, if I were in charge, I would have I would have made Dan the president of baseball operations. I mean, I would have offered them both extensions. I um, I don't know, you know, baseball is trending younger in, in both those jobs. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, I think Dan's brilliant, but I don't know what he wants to do and what the future holds for him. Obviously, he wanted to be president of the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Orioles didn't let him go. But you know, I mean, what is their um, what is their uh, reputation in Baltimore that is that they help resurrect the franchise? Yeah, and I would say that most people here in Baltimore have rather positive things to say about I both think of them. I great. I, yeah. mean, and, and, I mean, I don't – things went bad. And, uh, you know, I, last season they tried to make one more run with the group and when maybe it would have been better to break it up earlier. But it's pretty hard when you've got a bunch of guys like – Manny Machado and Adam Jones, Zach Britton to say, okay, we're going to get rid of all these guys and start over because you don't know what the future holds. You don't know that you're going to get another Adam Jones or another Zach Britton. So I, I admire, I admire holding it together as long as you can, and almost always you you go one year too far. I'm I'm always of that thought, you know, about breaking breaking something up and just starting from scratch right. again. But let me ask you this: with the way that the relationship between those two were perceived at times. 
Uh, and then later on, when both were let go, Dan comes out and says, well, Buck never embraced the analytic type stuff. Then Dan was more in tune to it. Uh, how, how much of that do you think is just sour grapes, or do you think there's a lot of truth to that? I think every general manager and every manager has tension. I mean, my God, was there tension between Earl Weaver and Hank Peters? Yeah. <laughs> Holy smoke. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a story, Stan knows Walter, yeah, the late Walter Yowes, a sure. scout comes over one day and he yells across the field. Uh, <laughs> I think at that time he was a Brewers scout. Maybe he had worked for the Orioles at one point, but he yells at Earl, he yells into the dugout, hey, Earl, let's make a trade that screws up both teams. <laughs> Only he didn't use the word screws up both teams. And Earl cackles, that's the only kind my GM ever makes. (laughs) But it's natural. I mean, look, I I, I live in Houston. Boys here just won a World Series, just won a World Series last year, won 103 games this year. And there's always tension between the manager and the GM. It was so so much so that we wondered would A.J. Hinch explore other options before signing an extension. And I think what they both understand is there's supposed to be some give and take. There's supposed to be some push and some pull, and that's healthy. You, you know, it's interesting. And can I tell you another Orioles story? Yeah, go Another Orioles story. They're going over some kid in the, at the end of the organizational meetings at the end of the year, and the scout who signed the kid is in the room, and Cal Sr., Cal Ripken Sr., is saying, the kid can't do this, kid can't do this, kid can't do this, and the scout – just kind of looks, has heard enough of this. Right. Got that sky the kid and goes, yeah, well, he says you're not too good either. And <laughs> it was on. It was on. <laughs> Did the vein in Cal's uh, forehead uh, pop out? I think it took about nine people to uh, uh, hold them back. Yeah, well, well Tim Kirkton once says, um, he would go around and ask people, uh, okay, just you in a room with a Rottweiler, who gets out alive? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everybody go, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And he, he asks Rip Senior, and, and Cal Rip says, uh, "Oh, that dog doesn't have a chance." <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's all right. I don't That's know why right. I've been thinking a lot about Earl lately. You know about uh, all the all the brilliance of Earl. How would Earl do in this era? And was Earl ahead of his time? And you know, because a lot of what Earl went on were those pitcher versus hitter matchups, yep. a lot of the analytics people tell you those are meaningless. That they, they don't, they, they, you know, I think they will say even sometimes they meet, they, they do have meaning, but for the most part, they didn't have meaning. And so you wonder, like, was there some reason a hitter had success all over a pitcher? Was it a confidence thing? But Earl really, you know, relied on those things. Hey, by the way, and shoot me for not letting you know this about a month ago, did you know that this Wednesday night there is a reunion and an event in Baltimore, an evening with the 1983 Baltimore Orioles? Oh, that'll be great. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah. Um, Lolo and uh, I'll tell you, the guys that won't be there will be, of course, Mike Flanagan and and Todd Cruz won't be there, but Dempsey won't be able to make it. Boddicker had a hunting trip. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr. will not be there, and Jim Palmer had to cancel at the last minute. Got some family stuff going on out in California, but the rest of everybody's going to be there. I mean, from so Boddicker's not coming. Boddicker had a hunting trip that he bought like a couple months before, and it's something he couldn't get out of. Yep. 
But I once sat behind home plate on a Sunday afternoon game when uh, Boniker was pitching. I mean, right behind home plate where I could just, you know, I, I lined up. And it's. I think everybody ought to have the chance to do this, like watching the pitcher throw live BP. You just can't get your mind around how talented these guys are. And I remember saying to Boddicker later, I mean, he was pitching to every quadrant of the strike zone. Yeah. And the next day I said something like, it, it was amazing to watch it from that angle. And he goes, yeah, it wasn't too sharp. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> by my by – my, in my book, you were unbelievably sharp. But anyway, that's beside the point. You remember that season fairly well. Wouldn't you say he was kind of the unsung hero of that team? I mean, Eddie and Cal were the yeah. were the big guys, and Singleton, of course, was good. But when Flanagan went down in early May and Boddicker came up, I thought he was the unsung hero of that team. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Bill Swaggerty, you know, had pitched a couple of really big games. I think that team had two six-game losing streaks. Yes, so not, it did. If I remember correctly. Two seven-game losing streaks. Yeah. Seven-game losing streaks? Two seven-game losing streaks. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Swaggerty, did he break both of them? Or Bodpit broke one? And I think Bod I think broke. I, I know Bod, Bodiger broke one of them. And, you know, obviously he's the last 20-game winner that the Orioles have ever had. And that yeah. happened the year after that. Yeah. I mean, and the year after that, you know what I remember about that is, he was about. He was so nervous. He was about to vomit in that game at Fenway Park where he won his twentieth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you go pitch, you're pitching for your guys. Well, in this game, he wasn't pitching for his guys. He was pitching for himself, and he didn't know how to deal with it. And it was like the highest compliment of a guy. Like he didn't know how to go out and pitch for himself. He, he there was one game in Anaheim, where there's a an old classic rock song. So you think you're a Romeo playing a part in a picture show. Yeah. And Bodice is singing it before the game. So you think you're a Romeo playing a part in a picture show. You better keep the ball low or it'll go a long way. <laughs> and he gave, he gives up, I think he, I want to say he gave up like three or four home runs that day. And there was the Anaheim bus driver saying to the boys uh, on the way to the airport. And uh, when they, they, left the, they left Anaheim Stadium, Flanagan yells to the bussy, hey, bussy, would you dedicate one to Bod? Sing, uh, take me out of the ball game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, sir. How many, Boys had some fun back then. How many um, special memories do you have of 1983? I remember the night. Remember it was Brooks Robinson night because Brooks was going into the Hall of Fame that year, and the game got rain delayed like two times at the start of the game, and they finally brought Brooks out in the car around 9:30 before the game started. Uh, the game ended about 1 o'clock in the morning. I remember the night Dan Ford hit a home run to beat Richard Dotson, one to nothing in the bottom of the eighth inning. I mean, and the night Tippy Martinez picked off three guys on Cal's birthday. Yeah, see, I wasn't, I didn't, co- I didn't come until 84. I, I, I was in Baltimore in 83 with the Rangers. But all those games lived in the memory of everybody. Yeah. The, the game where Tippy picked off the three guys. That might have been one of the great game. I mean, one of the most amazing games ever played. And uh, Disco Danny didn't he hit? He come off the DL and hit a couple of home runs in Seattle one yes, night. Yes, and, yes. And they're handing out the meal money. Phil Itzo's handing out the meal money, and he goes, uh, <laughs> "Hey, give me two of them envelopes. I've been carrying this team." And somebody <laughs> in the back goes, "You owe us for the last two months." So. <laughs> but. Um, Geez, it was such, I mean, just looking at those guys, how great was Eddie Murray? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, 
He was unbelievable. And, you know, when, when he's playing the game, Richard, and he's going through his career, I, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people gave him the credit that he deserved when, you know, in other words, people will always tell you when you're watching somebody, you know, pay attention to this guy and, right. and remember that you're watching this. You know, and I don't think anybody did that with Eddie. Yeah, I think Eddie's thing was he was so consistent yeah. that, I mean, he was a freak, an athletic freak. I mean, they, he would come back to the dugout and Jimmy Fry would say, hey, Eddie, were you looking in or out on that pitch? And Eddie would go, hey, pitch, uh, plate's only like, what, 15 inches or something? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, that's just like he's on a different level. But, um, you know, and I think the thing he doesn't get credit for is everybody thought he was this big, angry, silent guy. He was, a, he was the loudest mouth in the clubhouse from the time you walked in there to the time you left. And the other thing I know is I remember is he loved being an Oriole. He used to sing this song, It's Great to Be Young and an Oriole. Mm-hmm. And he would sing it kind of sarcastically. But uh, trust me, he, be, he believed it. And they played a game at Rochester one time, and he came back and what he perceived, some of the things he saw, players wearing different gear for batting practice, mm-hmm. he perceived it as a lack of discipline, mm-hmm. and it freaked him out. And what he thought, saw of it was, this whole thing's going to hell. He saw it before any of the rest of us saw it, that things were happening in the minor league system that shouldn't be happening. And it, the one thing the Orioles taught me more than any other is, or those, those teams was, how important that having a farm system is not just about replenishing the talent. Those guys that came up, they were teammates before they were teammates. There was a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. They, all cal- they all learned everything they knew about the game from Cal Sr., and they knew that Earl and Cal Sr. were on the same page. They all had similar experiences in Bluefield, Rochester, Charlotte, all those places they played, coaches, uh, restaurants, all those things they talk about the light pole here, you know, I hit a home run off that. Yeah, I did that one time. And it was it was part of what created a family. And anybody who thinks it's a cliche, like what happened with the Orioles in the 70s and the 80s, I mean the 60s, the 70s, and 80s, it was really true. They were smarter than anybody else. Palm Boswell was writing this for, for years, yeah. that they just were more efficient and did more with less than anybody else. We're talking with Richard Justice of MLB.com. And, Richard, the Orioles in midseason did something that I think it touched a lot of fans here. They signed, actually signed Brooks Robinson to a contract to be a part of the team again. Uh, and that's more like a sort of a PR thing. But they did the same thing a couple weeks later with Eddie Murray. Uh, Eddie's a good 15, 18, 18, 19 years younger than than Brooks. Do you think Eddie's got a lot to offer this team, a team that is as down as they are now? I'm not suggesting he be named manager, but couldn't he teach some of that along the way to this organization? I just think the coolest thing in Sarasota is to show up there and you'd have you have McGregor in uniform and Dempsey in uniform. Lanny would be around when he was still alive. Palmer, I just think there's a there's in remembering the history of your franchise. Eddie is a genius. Eddie is an Eddie's aptitude for the game is off the charts, and some of it is the fact that he's just a smart guy. 
some of it is the fact the people that he was around, like Flanagan and Cal Sr. and all. Yeah, I think he, those guys all have lots to offer. But also, one of the things Buck did that was so special to me was line the hallways there between the clubhouse and the field mm-hmm. with uh, Orioles. Because yep. he said in terms of, um, terms of history and tradition, uh, this city takes a backseat to nobody. And he wanted, and remember that summer, of, I guess it was 2012, they, Janet Marie did the six sculptures out in the left field pavilion or third, yeah. whatever you call it. Yeah. And uh, Buck had, uh, had the players go out there and listen and wanted them to understand who Earl Weaver was and who Jim Palmer was and why it was important and, and the, what the, the uniform they wore represented in a larger sense. Yeah, no question about it. And you know what you what, what Stan was asking you about the the teaching aspect of it, and that goes back to what you were saying about Cal Senior was the fact that back then when you came up through this organization, it didn't make any difference how long you were there, but by God, when you left and you were lucky enough to make the major leagues, you knew how to play the game. Yeah, and you do. You knew there was when you came up. There was one way to do rundowns. There was one way to line up cutoff men. Yeah. There was a Bible that Earl and Cal, and I guess it was both of them, uh, they developed. And that was another thing that started to come undone, is that uh, there were some brought into the organization that wanted to do cutoff and relays a different way. Well, look, you're, this is our religion. This is, this is what we believe. We don't change it. And there became a tug-of-war inside, and somebody should have taken over and... and uh, I mean, it was not good. You know, yeah. the other night, the other night during the football game uh, on TV, uh, they showed a clip of Al Michaels, Howard mm. Cosell, and Earl Weaver in the <laughs> booth in the booth in at Pittsburgh? the end. No, in Philadelphia. Oh, in Philadelphia. At the end of the World Series, and they broadcast, and then. You know, Howard going through his spiel to Al Michaels about how ABC is lucky to have such a great young talent like you. And, of course, later we all know what the relationship was a little bit between, you know, Cosell and, and Al Michaels. But then Cosell turns to Earl and goes, and my friend, it's great to have you here and to see this. And, you know, this was your team. And then Earl looked and said, no, man, this is not – I had nothing to do with this. This was all those all those guys down there. But really, Richard, that was Earl's team. Yeah. <laughs> the I one mean, that lost to Milwaukee uh, the previous year on the final weekend of the year. Right. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, the end of the last – the end of the 82 season with Cosell's little monologue about yeah. Mayor Schaefer yeah. and EBW and Earl uh, – Still brings chills to to me. Anybody want watch to see that? Yeah, it was. I think also. I think Altabelli was a. I think he. I think Earl's departure mm-hmm. fueled people because maybe some of the players thought Earl got too much credit, and that it, it was a little bit extra motivation. But look, let's face it: when you have Cal and Eddie in the middle of your lineup, and you have uh, Flanagan, McGregor, Boddicker, and Palmer, and Tippy throwing the ninth inning, you're going to be pretty good. Yeah. Hey, and the way they did with Lowenstein and Renicky, that obviously that was, was Earl's thing. Yeah, you know John Shelby was a huge part of that that team, and just getting third base settled. You know, hey Richie Dower was a really you, really good player. You've obviously seen that old uh, Weaver tape with Bill Haller, right? Yes, I have yeah, okay. many times. Many well, times. And, and hey, I got to tell you this. I got, I got a story to tell you. Go ahead, right. but I got a story to tell you afterwards about that. Uh, well, so. The late Steve Palermo, whenever, like the two years the Royals were in the World Series, he would come and sit with me for the game. 
And so I used to think it was kind of a joke. George Solomon at the Washington Post assigned me to write a story, the relationship between Earl and umpires. I used to think a little of it was act. What I found out was they hated the guy. I mean, they hated the guy, and they didn't like Cal Sr. that much either. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, Palermo would come and sit by me, and he would go, and I'd say, you're going to tell me some stories. He goes, I'm going to tell you some stories about the little idiot. And uh, (laughs) and one of the best ones was, um, I think it's the first game, it was early in the game at Yankee Stadium. It's sold out, and he throws Earl out in the first inning. Earl goes and stands. Maybe you got Earl goes and stands on second base, and he ain't leaving, and he's not leaving the field. And, and Stevie tells him, uh, "Look, I'm I'm going to give you one minute to leave this effing field, and if you don't, I'm going to forfeit this game, and you're going to have fifty. Look around, you're going to have right. fifty thousand people here. They're going to kick your ass." And he he looks over at the third base umpire, Richie Garcia, and goes, "Richie, start the clock. One minute." I'm not leaving, Earl. I'm not leaving. He goes, 50 seconds, Earl. I'm not leaving. 40 seconds. And finally, at like five seconds, Earl starts running off the field and yelling and screaming, I'm calling the league office. I'm calling the league office. He goes, that's fine. you got three seconds to get to the phone. <laughs> well, you know, that, 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 whole, that whole video that I referenced was, was done by Channel 9 down in D.C. They, right. had a, they had a camera in the camera well mm-hmm. right next to the first base dugout, and that's how, I mean, they, 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 the mic'd, they mic'd up Bill Haller. And, and that's how that happened. Well, of course, Earl goes running across the field, and and Haller tells him, and along with Eddie Murray, you know, that Mike Flanagan, he's just behind the rubber. You know, he was called for a balk. Right. And then, you know, and that's when everything broke loose for like three and a half minutes and what have you, and back and forth they go. And then Mike Flanagan once told me, a long time ago, he says, you know, the greatest thing about that video is whenever we were down on a bus or something like that, he says, or in a hotel room, we'd go watch that video. And that would just cheer guys up. <laughs> and he goes, he says, and what the, the greatest thing about that story that nobody knows, he says, is that Earl goes running out there, and he looks at me and he says, did you balk? And, and I said, yeah. And he said, out of hell with it. <laughs> Well, he know, just he just wanted a piece of Haller. Well, you know, and the version I heard is that Earl, as he's leaving the field, says to Flanny, "Now you did balk. You did not balk." And he goes, well, "I think I did." And he goes, <laughs> "The way I heard it was Earl said, well, bleep you too.'" <laughs> hey, Richard, we got you for just another minute or two. Uh, the big stories uh, in free agency this year. Let me ask you, uh, MLBTradeRumors.com came out with their predictions and projections of years and, and locations that the, the top 50 free agents are going to be at. I'm just going to ask you about numbers one and two. They had Harper uh, getting 14 years at uh, thir- 14 years 420 and Manny 390 for 13 years. Do you see that in this market? I don't know. He's already, man. He's already well. I mean, Harper's turned down what ten years, three hundred million. Right. Yeah. It's just I can't even. I mean, they are twenty six years old. Um, where did they say they were going to go? They said that Manny. They predicted Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I agree think, with that. And I think Harper was. Lo- I think it was Los Angeles. I think. 
Yeah, see, I don't think that. I don't think they're going to th- do that. I think the Giants are going to be the team in play for Harper. Yeah, the only thing I, I think Bryce. I think it's a. I don't. I don't think it's his favorite place, but I do agree they're going to open the bo- the wallet yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, who I I don't. I think Manny's. I think Manny's going to have limited options. I think the Cardinals would make room for Manny, but. I've, we'll see. I mean, I've you're heard asking me, do I think the numbers will be there? Yeah, do you think those well, length, of, is, length of contract will be there? Well, there are, you know, you don't have 26-year-old free agents. I guess yeah. anything's possible. I hey, mean, one last thing about uh, Manny that I've heard of, uh, sort of a rumor that makes some sense to me, is that one player they think that Manny would really respect in the locker room with him is Marcakis. And I hear that the Phillies are sort of hell-bent on signing Marcakis first. That would uh, make sense. To, you know, that he could kind of control Manny a little bit and get him get him thinking straight. So I think yeah, Marcakis you know, would shot out of In defense of Manny, yeah. the guy does play 159 games every year. Yeah. So while he, I mean, you know, I remember I once complained to LaRusso about Ricky Henderson, and Tony looked at me and said, all the great ones are a little bit different. Yeah. And you have your job is to get the best out of them, mm-hmm. you know. And Buck did a great. Buck did a phenomenal job. I mean, we're never going to know the times he took Manny aside. And I think J.J. Hardy had a lot of this mm-hmm. to, to do with it, and to say, "Now look, you can't do that." Blah blah blah. You know. Um, but what do you think possessed Manny to have that interview with Ken Rosenthal and admit openly that he's not Johnny Hustle? I mean, what was in I, it I for him? Um, it's almost like it was an screw you to the world. Yeah. Like, I know what everybody expects me to say. Yeah. I know yeah. what everybody expects me to do. And guess what? I don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you guys didn't think of him as a bad guy when he was in Baltimore, did you? No, I didn't. I mean, you, you could tell that, uh-huh. you know, you could tell that the answers were, you, you know, the, the words were just words, words. really. Yeah. Right, I mean, right, he was right, saying right. what you, he was saying what he thought you wanted to hear. Yeah, I did but not. You mean think it's not like uh, Mike Musino? No, not at all. No, no. Like uh, Heisty always had the first question with Musino, and Musino would go, "Craig, that's not in the form of a question." <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then it got to the point where Moose would have his back to all of us, and then he'd turn around and go, "Yes, Craig." <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah. Well, how did he explain that one? I remember that one night. Yeah. Hey, RJ, give my best to Marty. We Thank always you. appreciate the time you spend with us. It's always insightful. All Thank right. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Happy holidays coming up. Same to you. All right. There you go, Richard uh, Justice, MLB.com, the that best. Just, and that just goes to, hello? That just yeah. goes to tell you uh, exactly how clubhouses have changed and covering teams have changed since uh, the Mike Messina days here in Baltimore. And that that was obviously – uh, throughout the 90s and then 2000 before he left and went to New York. But just so many things have changed, and social media has ruined what every, every, everything we do pretty much. Yeah, no question about it. We're going to make our connection now with uh, Chelsea Janes, our last guest of the, uh, of the program, and I'll let my friend Craig Heist uh, introduce her as well because we're making our connections right now with her. All right, and uh, she is always busy covering the beat for the Washington Nationals for the Washington Post. She is Chelsea Janes. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Were you at the uh, GM meetings? 
I was, yeah. I'm back now, but I was out there in California this week. All right. Well, let me ask you this. First of all, uh, obviously, Bryce, and you, you wrote this, that uh, he had turned down the $300 million over 10 years. Uh, where does this go from here? And we hear Burroughs is talking about a, a 14-year deal worth maybe $500 million. <laughs> Uh, we all know what Scott is all about and how he likes to make the splashes, but how realistic do you think that is? I don't think $500 million is very realistic. I don't think 14 years is very realistic, um, but we all knew he'd shoot high. I, I don't think he thinks it's very realistic. I mean, I've heard people laugh off $400 million, so. mm-hmm. I, you know He's going to shoot high, but I don't think at the expense of having Bryce you know, without a job in February. I think this process will actually kind of pick up a little bit and, you know, maybe see something happen at the winter meetings. But if it's if it's $500 million, I will retire on the spot. <laughs> I will, okay, I, okay yeah. that said, if, if and knowing what the market's been like in past years, uh, as far as people thinking they're going to get a big contract and then not getting what they thought they were going to get, Obviously, Manny Machado and Bryce are two different kind of players. How do you? Is there a possibility that Bryce returns to the Nationals? You know, I think it's there, but after sort of where they stand now, they've made their offer. I don't really. I think they could go up, but not by much. I just don't see it. Um, I think it's pretty clear with the numbers that Boris is asking that he's saying. You know that's a that's a great offer. They they tried, but you know we're it's time to go ask the big boys for money. Mm-hmm. So I think you know it seems like it might be done, but you know both sides are still on good terms. So I think you know the Nats pretty much did all they can. You know they made the biggest free agent offer in pro sports history, and you know he turned it down. So I'm not sure what more you can want from them without without them kind of crippling their entire payroll for years to come. Can you imagine what the fan reaction would be like in Washington if Bryce winds up in Philadelphia? I think it would be very similar to the fan reaction in Philadelphia when Jason Worth ended up in Washington. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Good point. Um, Touche. But I also think it's a little different. I think, I mean, people like Bryce, but I think there's a, a fairly large contingent that is sort of ready to see him go. So I think if that happens, it, it might get kind of ugly because it's, it's, you know, that's not where anyone wants to see him play. But yeah. I don't know. I, I still think Machado probably ends up there and, and Bryce elsewhere. But that would be quite a scene. Do you think uh, Machado and Harper, Chelsea, do you think they both end up with opt-outs after, say, four years? You know, they're going to get big dollars. I don't see the terms being 13 or 14 years, I think they're seven or eight-year deals with opt-outs after about four. I think so. You know, I don't they, – they have such leverage that, you know, the Nationals weren't going to give any opt-outs, and, you know, they could just say, I'll take $10 million for 300 with opt-outs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's that much of an advantage if the market changes. So, yeah, I bet they get them, but, you know, that's, that's a new thing. That's a new wave, and it, it makes a lot of sense for all parties that, that you would do that. If you were a betting person right now, where do you think to say the top three spots are for Bryson? Do you include the Giants in there? Um, you know, I I think I would include the Giants right now. Um, I'm still kind of on the Cardinals train, although Ken Rosenthal, who knows all things, mm-hmm. kind of said that's probably not going to happen. Um, 
so I'm probably wrong. But um, And then, I don't know, you know, it's really tough. I, I guess I could see the Dodgers or the Cubs kind of saying we are going to spend, but as of right now, it doesn't sound like it. So I guess, you know, Cardinals, Giants, and then I don't, I don't know. You know, I just don't know if the market's there as much as they thought it was, which might help the Nationals a little bit. But it's really tough to say. But those teams just make so much sense and have so much money to spare that it that it just seems to kind of add up. Turning back to the Nationals for a minute, they've they've made that deal where they traded some international bonus slot money to get uh, Barraclough, uh in as a uh, late inning guy. You know, a, a bridge guy to the closer. They then signed Trevor Rosenthal to a nice contract. Do you think they're done in the bullpen, or do you, could you see them still sign a, a, a high-profile guy? I think I could still see them signing someone. I, I think they've sort of eliminated the need for desperation because mm-hmm. they've got a closer, you know, and that, that only helps. I think if they were to stop, you would say that this bullpen isn't playoff-ready, but it can probably get you to the trade deadline, you know, so I – I could see them not making a move, but I would be surprised if there aren't new faces there. And, you know, obviously then there's the, the annual crew of, of former big names that have kind of fallen into, you know, whatever disrepair that come to spring training and, and somebody impresses you. So there'll be a lot of those. But I, I don't know that you can look at this bullpen and say we're fine. I just think you can look at it and say it's not the top priority anymore. All right, let me ask you this about the outfield. Say there is no Bryce Harper. He goes somewhere else. You have Adam Eaton, you have uh, Robles in center, and you have Soto in left. Uh, Michael A. Taylor, uh, if Bryce does leave, I think Michael A. Taylor has a more predominant role uh, as a backup uh, outfielder, as the fourth guy. But are, are, are the Nationals going to be content with that, knowing, the, knowing what kind of offensive production you're going to be missing? I think so. Um, you know, I really do. I think uh, you're happy with, I mean, Eaton's one of the best leadoff men in the game. He's not going to hit for power, but Juan Soto's going to hit for power, you yeah. know, and um, I think they love what they've seen in Robles. But, it's, you know, I think Michael Taylor kind of fell off the map last year, but at the end of the year they were making some pretty substantial swing changes to try to get him to cut down on strikeouts, and, and very late in the year it started to, to pay off a little bit. So I think, I still think he's, I mean, he's important. He's He's really good defensively, you know, and and I think that you can deal with it if Robles goes through some slumps because you can you can let Michael A play and and I think too it's important to remember that you're only paying that combined group like thirteen million. So say you get to the deadline and you need more, you can go get it. It's not you're not crippled. So I think they'd be happy to give that group a shot. You know, if you've held on to Soto and Robles this long through so many potential trades, you clearly believe in them. So. Um, it's probably time to say, hey, let's see what we have and kind of like ride with it for a little bit. What are you hearing is the latest on Howie Kendrick? Because you could certainly make the argument that part of this team's issue not making the playoffs last year was uh, uh, when Howie went down with the Achilles injury. Yeah, that was a sneaky big injury. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, every all indications are he'll be back this year. And I honestly think he'll probably start at second base for them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they see a need to go get anybody else. I mean, Kendrick's like a 297 career hitter. I mean, he's no slouch, and he's older. He's going to need days off, but you have Wilmer Defoe, and I think I think the logic for them right now is why go pay D.J. LeMayhew for, or somebody, you know, some free agent for years when we see Carter Keyboom is almost ready. You know, right. why, why reach? So um, 
I think that they're going to try to start with Kendrick and Defoe and maybe, you know, another veteran backup kind of infielder and then just take it from there. And, and if, you know, if Keyboom looks ready, then you have a spot for him and, and you can just kind of see what these young guys can do. How's Keyboom looked in the Arizona Fall League? All signs were good. I think he had some, you know, offensive adjustment time. Um, I think we're a little spoiled with Nat's offensive prospects right now and that, you know, Soto just destroyed all norms. But <laughs> yes, he I did. Think, you know, Keyboom is moving almost as fast, which is crazy. I mean, he's, he's moving fast. Um, but he's the kind of guy they like because he makes adjustments. You know, he'll hit 220 for a month and then he adjusts to that level and you can move him up. So I think he'll probably start in double A, maybe triple A and, you know, be a factor late in the season, but we've seen that if injuries kind of, like, put them in a position where they need him, that they'll be willing to give him a shot. But they're happy with him at second. They'd be happy with him at short. And he's just kind of another asset for a team that's going to put a lot of faith in, in younger guys this year, I think. Chelsea, um, now that Robles is actually up and with the big league club, do you think there's a chance that he now, being sort of untouchable in a real Muto trade, could could those two sides sort of revisit that and go after where the Marlins go after some other prospects? I think so. Um, in talking to Mike Rizzo this week, it sounds like the Marlins still want a ton. You yeah. Know? And so originally, you know, like you said, it was Soto, it was Robles, it was everything. But I, I think there's a sense that if it got to a deal centered around Keyboom that they could probably pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they really want Real Muto. So, yeah, I absolutely expect them to keep talking. It's just going to be a question of whether their package is going to beat the Marlins, you know, what they can get from another team. Um, but the Nets, it sounds like catcher is a major priority. It sounds like they want an elite catcher. They don't want to settle. And, and who's the most available kind of natural fit there? It's Real Muto, who they've loved for years. Yeah. And one other thing, the uh, pitching, the starting rotation, they've, they've spent some energy and bullets on the back end of things, uh, with Scherzer and Strasburg always being, you know, sort of a more like a candidate for 20 starts than 30 starts, um, right. where do you see them going? Do you see them as a player for any significant starting pitcher in the free agent market? They better be, because it's going to be a long year if they don't jump on, on that. I mean, they need help. They need top-line starters. You know, we see Scherzer and Strasburg, but like you say, I mean, I accidentally called Scherzer old at the end of the season. And he just said, watch it. But he's he's getting old, you know. Yeah. Like he's not he's not young. He's 30, 34, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and he's had a lot of miles on that arm lately. So, you know, how much can you count on him? It's not so much about this year. It's about moving forward, right? Like, you got to start planning. Um, and Strasburg, obviously, the velocity was down in a really terrifying way last year. So, I think they've got to go after one or two big-name starters. I mean, I think you'll hear them, you know, quote, involved on just about everyone. I think they'll look at the trade market. You know, there's teams, the Diamondbacks, Mariners, Blue Jays, everybody's selling. They have some pitching options there. Um, You know, they've always loved Zach Greinke. If they could get the Diamondbacks to pay him down, you know, Robbie Ray is a former Rizzo draft pick there. So if they're offloading, why not try to get in on those guys? You know, they've got options, but, um, you know, Dallas Keuchel's sort of an upgraded geo, you know, a, a crafty competitiveness so i think they'll be involved and and they absolutely have to be because if they're if they don't add one or two starters they're in trouble i think one of the sneaky things they might do is in in attempting to get real muto and they're the marlins are asking for a ton is all of a sudden the the nationals say 
I'll tell you what, throw Dan Straley in, and, you know, you get an inexpensive but solid number four type guy. I think that may be the way that those two sides end up cooking a deal. It makes sense. I mean, it makes sense that they should take some money. I just, my, it, it makes total sense. You're right. And then it's just, it's what strikes me is that it hasn't gotten done yet. You know, yeah. I think they've tried almost everything. So um, I bet that'll, that'll be something that'll be easier for them to determine once they figure out where Bryce is headed. You know, if, if they've got payroll yeah. to spare, like, why not? Um, so I, it'll be interesting, but I, I bet you that's something that they'll try to do because, it'll cut down on the prospect return, which apparently is, is ridiculous. If they cannot swing a deal for Real Muto, what does that mean for bringing back Matt Weeders, who obviously all the pitching, all the pitchers on this staff love throwing to, and they love the way he handles the staff? I, I don't think they can rely on him as their starting catcher. Um, it doesn't mean they won't bring him back, but I think they're going to look elsewhere. I mean, elsewhere could be Wilson Ramos, certainly. Um, yeah, yeah. Elsewhere, you know, there's Jonathan Lucroy. You know, they like the person. He had kind of a down year. But, I mean, there's options out there for sure. So, um, I mean, you could even go so far as to try to pry Salvador Perez away from the Royals at the deadline. Or, you know, there's options. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be familiar faces around. Kurt Suzuki is a really nice kind mm-hmm. of platoon option. Maybe you could pair him with Weeders. <laughs> so there's there's a lot out there, and I think they'll consider all of it. But, it's just seemed all along, you know, Rizzo never comes out and says, I love this guy. You know, yeah. he doesn't want to destroy his leverage, but he has said that about Real Muto. So for me, it's like, that's, it feels like it's a little bit of Real Muto or bust for them right now. Kurt Suzuki, former National, and then when he left the Nationals, became a Nationals killer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's an interesting scenario. I mean, it'd be interesting to see him come back if they can't figure it out in other directions. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, the uh, winter meeting's coming up. Uh, You're looking forward to Vegas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I think it's going to be crazy. I mean, it's going to be chaos, but it's going to be all about Bryce, which is what we're used to anyway, so yeah. I guess why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the funny part about the Bryce thing for me is, uh, you know, there are some in the organization that I, I know for a fact aren't going to be that sorry to see him go if that's the way it goes. But uh, you, you wonder just how much, you know, everything that was said at the end of last season about, I love it here, could be my last time here, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, but in the end, it's really, you know, money talks, and that's the biggest thing when you're talking about not just Bryce, but a Machado as well. Absolutely. You know, I think. I don't think Bryce is all about the money by any means, but I think the difference between like a $350 million contract and what the Nationals offered him is going to be substantial enough to make him make that move. So, you know, I, I it just feels like he's going elsewhere, but we also don't know what anyone else is willing to pay. Yep. You know, just because Scott Boris says, I want $500, 400000000 million doesn't mean anyone's going to give it to him. So we'll see how the market shakes out, especially, you know, with Machado and, and all these teams that are supposed to be interested in spending a lot of money and going to be a really interesting scenario all right well mike rizzo may say he loves jt real muto we love chelsea james on the show we <laughs> always we always appreciate your time and insights chelsea no thanks for having me all right have a safe trip out to vegas and remember what goes on in vegas stays, stays in, in vegas. vegas right <laughs> all right i don't know how to react to that but i'll try all right <laughs> <laughs> thanks chelsea all Bye. right there you have it 
Chelsea James. We're going to take a timeout, and then Craig Heist and I are going to beat it around a little bit, and uh, we'll be right back on the other side of these messages. Got to tell you about the Costas Inn. 4100 North Point Boulevard. I was going to say the same thing. There you go. Well, they've got great food, and they've got specials. Like, do they? Yeah. All like right. Monday night. It's crab cake night. Tuesday night. It's rib night. And Wednesday night. It's steak night, which is your favorite. That's my favorite. Thursday night is it's lobster, lobster night. lobster night, yes. And Friday is Pete's Choice, right? Pete's Choice, or just go in, grab a menu, and... Look on the front page on the left-hand side. Uh, we love the guys there. Uh, it's uh, going to eat at a place that's going to treat you like family. Uh, Pete and Nick will always treat you right at the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. And they've got great crabs. We assume you know that already. But if you're ever in the mood for them, they have them 365 days a year. Yes, indeed. Crab soup, Maryland crab, some and of the best crab around. Cakes. Crab cakes and also cream of crab. You cream will not crab. find better cream of crab soup now, than at the Costa Now, Sam. do you like to do what my wife does, which is half and half? Uh, I've never tried that. She loves that. Is that right? It doesn't appeal to me, but she yeah, loves no, it. I, yeah. And who am I to argue with Jane? Well, that's right, because All then right. you just get in a lot of trouble. I always do. Yeah. I always do. But one thing I don't get in trouble when I take her to the Costas Inn. She loves the Costas Inn. You, you will, too. 4100 North Point Boulevard. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend Juan Dixon, now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles, honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with the 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Orioles 
those podcasts around. Look forward to listening every week. These guys are coconuts, and if that's not enough reason to listen, they are a great listener if you want Orioles talk, even during the offseason. If you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Bert are a must-listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page. That's at Fans Fantasy. And pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up. And someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at LoopLeague.com. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club, the Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff, like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese that's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A One online or through your app. And while I've got your attention, please remember Chick-fil-A Catering. It's a real live crowd pleaser. In fact, order twice as much as you think you'll need. Trust me. Go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Tell him I sent you. If you need help downloading your app, don't ask Steve, but he'll know someone who can help. Chick-fil-A One. Get food. Earn more free food. Just reading the headline here. Yeah. An ESPN. But why is... Hold on. It says UW Hoops. So that must be... Wait a minute. Their bus... Their team bus... Yeah, caught Washington. Off. Is it University of Washington? I believe so, there yeah. Yeah, their bus oh. caught fire. Wow. Uh, leaving... Uh, who'd they play last night? Uh, Auburn. Auburn, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's scary times. Yeah, but uh, no injuries. Saw it last night on ESPN. No injuries. Everybody got out safe. Now they bl- uh, blew a tire yeah. and caught fire Friday night after the Huskies lost at number 11 Auburn. So it was probably the bus that was taking them just to the airport. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, what you got on us? What do you got in store for your weekend? Well, my weekend today. Not uh, an easy weekend. Uh, well, no. The I Caps got, are home tonight? Caps are home uh, tomorrow afternoon at 5. Who are they playing? Uh, who do they have tomorrow? I forget. No. I'll look it up while look. you tell me what else is and going And then on. Uh, this week, the Wizards uh, are home three days out of the week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, a couple of shifts at the station. And... Uh, What's going to go on with the Wizards? You know, it's it's if this they doesn't are, get turned they're around, really awful. If they if they if they don't get this turned around, you're going to probably see Beal or Wall moved. I would think. Yeah, but not but not Grunfeld or the coach. Uh, at this point, no. And Ernie's got pictures of somebody. I'm convinced of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys play the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Five o'clock. That would be Glenn. You you may even see Glenn Clark down there. You're kidding me. No. He comes down for those games? No, I'm just saying. But yeah, he he's got big, also the bye. But know, he was a big, the, right, but he was a big or is a big uh, Coyotes fan. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say his nickname is the Big Coyote. No. Uh, I would never call him that. And the Redskins, uh, you were wrong again last week. Well, you know what? Look, they, they're as banged up as any team in the NFL yeah, right now. I don't now. like them beating Tampa. 
I think Tampa's uh, going to score a lot of points. I don't know. Tampa's defense is just so god awful. Right, but is the is the Redskin offense capable of taking yeah, they're advantage? Ca- of they're capable of it. It's a matter of whether or not Alex Smith can get anything go- done in the passing game. Right. Overall, has that been a plus? Overall, Alex- yeah, I would say it's been half and half. Yeah, I uh, you know because I think a lot of what we're seeing this year of Alex Smith is not what. The Redskins were hoping they were getting, which was last year's Alex Smith as opposed to the year right. before. And I think we're seeing more of uh, the 2016 Alex Smith. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just talking to somebody the other day who made the point that the last two quarterbacks that they got from Andy Reid mm-hmm. have both been kind of – Donovan right. much more of a bust than uh, yeah. Smith. But Smith is – He's clearly well, but Smith has a lot more around him now than Donovan had when when he was there. Good point. Good Uh, point. I mean that that's including a coach, right? And uh, again, try to run Adrian Peterson and see where that gets you, and see if it doesn't Mm. open things up in the passing game. All right. So you like the Redskins tomorrow? Uh, I would take the Redskins, but I could certainly see them losing that game. Yeah, I think they're going to lose that game. Uh, But Jameis Winston's been. Not very good either. Yeah, but he's not going to play. Fitzpatrick Yeah, well, I'm will just play. saying. But, you know, Fitzpatrick coming. But, again. It's magic. What do, you, what do you get from Fitzpatrick? Do you get the good Fitzpatrick or the bad Fitzpatrick? I think with the Redskins D is banged bad Redskins, up. As a, well, it's banged up, but it's still a lot better than their yeah. uh, offense, which is really banged up. Yeah. But yeah, their, well, their, I, defense, their defense. Uh, I don't like that spot. I no. don't like that spot. No. Um, I mean, they're third against the run and eighth against the pass. So we started out with Tony Grossi picking the Browns mm-hmm. to beat Atlanta. Do you see that happening in in Cleveland tomorrow? I don't see it happening, especially if Atlanta goes into Cleveland and performs like they did last week. I mean, the, the passing game uh, for uh, Atlanta, Atlanta for, Matt Ryan. Was, for Matt Ryan was very good last week. Yeah against the Redskins, and a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And you agree that the Redskins' defense is better than the Browns' defense. Right, but yeah. they, they're the Brown, but the Redskins' defense is, is better than the Browns' defense, but the Browns' defense is healthier. Is healthier, And uh, also something else to think about with Atlanta, and that's uh, uh, chasing uh, that quarterback around yeah. is going to be a lot different than having Alex Smith just be in the pocket. All right, good points. Uh, thanks for being here, Craig Heist. We thank Brittany not, Everett. Not sure about next week because Maryland plays Ohio State at noon. Ooh, that's a big one. That's yeah. a big one. Are you and uh, Brittany getting out to lunch today? Uh, well, if you stop talking, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. We See appreciate. You, <laughs> we appreciate. Don't forget tomorrow, despite the fact the Ravens are not playing, Ken Zalis, Sarita Hubbard, and Kyle Ottenheimer with the fantasy and reality football show from 10 to 12. Glenn Clark will be back on Monday. Uh, There is no Project Game Day tomorrow. That's back next Sunday. We're going to bid you adieu. You mean he, he gets off for that? Just, yes, you know, does. because the Ravens are off? Yes, there's no Project he should, Game he Day. He should come in, watch TV, and then halftime. He of- probably will go to the Coyote game. <laughs> He probably planned the whole thing that way. All right. All right. Have a great week ahead, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.